This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. This is May, and on Memorial Day weekend in America's heartland, that means one thing, the Indy 500, the traditional pit stop competition just wrapping up. Of course, the Indy 500, just one of the races over the next 48 hours from Monaco to Charlotte with Speedway Indiana in between. We're getting you ready for racing's biggest weekend. driver from Sweden, Marcus Erickson. We're going to try to talk to Marcus in just a few moments. And if you just watched the competition, you also heard our Marty Snyder basically promoting a lack of workplace production. He was talking about all the fans who are here playing hooky because you have to. It's carb day. Welcome to one of the best views, especially for Sunday's race. This is fantastic here at the Peacock Pit Box with A.J. Allmendinger, Steve Letarte, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yes, carb day. On paper, I mean, it's all about sort of the practice, that final practice. But for fans, this is a party. And am I correct that your carb day, AJ, started well, last night? Yeah, a, a little bit, you know, thanks to uh, Jim Meyer from Sirius XM and, and Michael Shank, the, the whole Meyer Shank racing team. I might have been backstage with Sammy Hagar a little bit, hmm. tested a couple of his products, and uh, ah. I was just starting a little bit. Early. You know, I, I've been here as a driver. You know, I never got to hang out and, and party, so it's taking a little advantage of that. Well, it was clear to me that it was not a normal day. Early this morning, I was in the media center talking with our Nate Ryan, and as I walked out, it was early. 9, 9.15, and the line to the concessions were long. It looked like it was an adult concession. The music was blaring. The crowds were here. It was pumped up, fired up early. I, I have heard the stories, but it was great to finally experience it firsthand. Yeah, there's a lot of folks here having a lot of fun. It feels like the race is tomorrow, but there's a whole nother day we got to get through with the parade and all kinds of things. So it's been a lot of fun. I actually got to see the cars on the racetrack for the first time. They pushed back uh, practice just a little bit because of the rain, but we did get to see some cars go out there on the racetrack. We stood down here in turn one, me and Steve, watching them go by. Un incredible speeds, watching on the board. We talk about how we like time versus miles per hour on the NASCAR side. Here, it was awesome to see the miles per hour yeah. at the top of that board, how fast those guys are going and who was going to be the fastest. We moved around the racetrack uh, throughout practice, getting all kinds of great vantage points. It was amazing. Did you, was there a certain place you liked that you were I, surprised we got, Well, we, we went to this location off turn two. I'm not sure if we were supposed to be there or not. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe right keep at the, uh, Right at the gate <laughs> that exits, exits the racetrack, we got right up against the concrete wall as the cars were coming by, and it, they were literally going to blow the phone out of my hand when I was trying to video them coming through there. But, you know, that's one of the things you can't sense in the video is just how much air those cars are moving. When I was riding in a two-seater with Mario, uh, how it moved my head around. I could not stop it. I could not control it. 
uh, it's incredible. I've never been in an open cockpit car, so I can't even imagine what those guys are dealing with at 225. And again, we're going to bring you all these stories uh, all weekend. Our coverage begins at 9 a.m. Eastern uh, here on race day for the Indianapolis 500. But we said Marcus Erickson, uh, the rookie, just won the pit stop competition. Dylan Welch, uh, do you have him? I do, Krista. And dethroned the likes of Penske and Ganassi, who it's been a long time since somebody other than those two teams have won. So maybe the first victory of the weekend for you guys. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's uh, such a cool event. And, you know, we, we managed to put on good runs every time and the number seven RSPM guys just did amazing pit stop all the way through so so happy. We talk about this kind of being a fun event it's a fun day but obviously you're a competitor you want to win to be able to reward your guys with a victory in this how special is that for you? Yeah that's the biggest thing you know they work hard all year round uh, day and night to give you a good car and you know they put so much into it and a competition like today you know like you say it might be all fun and games but it's still you know we want to win we want to go out there and beat everyone and that's what we did today so i'm so pleased for the guys and you know they all done a great job marcus erickson and aero schmidt peterson motorsports beat ganassi in the pit stop competition today here at ims there you're looking at the winning stop so it's best two out of three they had to use all three of them so it made it Made it pretty exciting. That inside lane man was so dominant. I think whoever got the inside lane on the first of the of the of the three runs was definitely going to be in favor. Yeah, yeah and it, it really and really and they they talked about it on the broadcast. You know, Marcus Erickson comes from Formula One, doing standing starts. Even when he was in the right lane, yeah, they didn't win that that round, but you could see how close it was. So Marcus getting off the line really gave his pit crew every time they got there a little bit of that extra time. They didn't have to quite rush through it, and they nailed the stops every time. Yeah, I heard Kelly Stavis mention that fact coming from Formula One, and that definitely gave him an advantage. So who has the advantage for Sunday's race, at least based off of what we saw in that final practice today? Steve? Well, I'm going to go to the top of the charts. Tony Kanaan led that final practice, 90 minutes instead of the normal 60-minute carb day. And you look at the 2013 Indy 500 champion, that veteran status, 500 miles. You've talked all weekend long about how long this race is, how you have to be patient, how you have to manage it. Everybody I've talked to in the garage here talks about all these different things that I didn't expect, how fast you had to be on your outlap, how you managed traffic. It wasn't about raw speed. And when I look at Kanan, his experience, I think, can pay off. You know, I know it's not one of the biggest teams. When you look at A.J. Foyt, it's not a Team Penske. It's not a Ganassi. But there's just something about being there before, knowing what it's like in the closing laps. That could be the advantage tomorrow. Well, excuse me, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, and, and he talked about after the practice today, after Carb Day, saying this is the most comfortable, confident he has been since 2013. Hey, and who won? It, who won in 2013? Yeah, and that was Tony Kanaan. Yeah. So you can take one lap, the mile per hour. That's that's great. But when you hear a driver talk about being confident up front in traffic, because that's what's going to happen. You're not going to there's driver's not going to lead 200 laps. He's going to be at some point, whether the strategy pit stops or just kind of gets in the back of the pack, going to have to drive back through race cars and make passes on him. So TK, he's shown when he's confident, it's scary because he'll go on the initial start. He'll run it three wide through the gray, clear about 10 cars, get up front right away when he's got that type of confidence. Another guy that I think uh, has that confidence is Will Power. You talked about guys that have been there before. He won this race last year. It seemed like that maybe now that he's got that victory behind him and he, he's kind of confident that he's been able to win this race, he knows how to win it, he knows to be calm and relaxed throughout the race, that let that race come to him. And he's another guy that will send it on that outside line on those restarts to gain those needed positions when everybody's tight. 
I think he. I talked to him on our podcast. Spent spent a lot of time talking about his win here, what he's what what he's learned going forward, and I feel like that he's had sort of an under the radar. Uh, month. I think that he's sort of been able to, you know, take care of everything and, and, and focus on this race and not really, you know, he didn't win the poll. He's not not sort of in the media a ton, not a, not a name that we're hearing all, you know, over the last several days as far as a favorite. I think a guy like that can, you know, with his confidence and his knowledge, uh, being a champion and everything else, he can sneak in there and win this race. Let me throw another name at you in terms of um, garnering some headlines. Maybe not even here at Indy, but throughout the season, Colton Herta, another yeah. rookie. He has just sort of blown the place up. It, just listen to his demeanor talk about it. It really started with the Rolex 24-hour race. He joined with, with Ray Hall Lanigan uh, Letterman Racing in the BMW, never really driven that car, got in there, they went out and, and won the Rolex 24 hour. He wasn't just a part of the team that just went out there and drove his stance and got down. He was one of the quickest guys in the car. Goes out and wins his first career Indy car race in Austin. And just when he talks to the media, his, his we, we've had him on the show before, his he's, demeanor, yeah, it's like so the cool. moment's never too big for him. It's just kind of like, okay. And Dale, I really have this question to you. Maybe it's because he's been around it. He's watched his dad. He's seen his dad here. He's seen everything that's happened. Yeah, he's still 19 years old, but maybe just being around the sport for so long and seeing those moments happen allow him as a 19-year-old compared to another 19-year-old that's never been part of it to just kind of always have that calm demeanor. Yeah, there's no reason why somebody with, without the experience and the history of running this race can't come in here and win it. But that's the only thing that I would be concerned with. Yes, he's been around this sport. He knows it inside and out. He knows everything that's coming at him. But this race is not like every other race. There's so many chapters and hurdles and adversity to overcome. There's times when you need to be able to rein in that patience and, that, and calm yourself down. Does he have the people around him as a spotter and crew chief and so forth to be able to do that throughout the race as, those, as the moments get tense? Uh, that'll, that's remained to be seen. But he has the speed. He has the speed. And, and, the, and the will, uh, but there's a veteran sort of, uh, you know, mentality or there's things you need to learn as you go through this race and you almost have to lose it a few times before you actually win it. Uh, but he could surprise us all. Well, and numbers aren't a big thing in IndyCar, but I'm a little partial. I know he's partial. He's got the coolest number, too. I kind of <laughs> stole that. Stole Dale's phone, the team I work with. He's got that 88. Uh, I mean, that's it, right? That's, that's, the a, that's and everything. enough for me to pull for him right there, uh, <laughs> uh, let, it, let alone the fact that the kid's been dynamite since he's gotten behind the wheel of this car. And you guys are pointing out that the font looks the same as the 88 in NASCAR that we're yeah. used to seeing. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, I, I believe if I heard correctly, the owner of this team uh, the, is, is, is a fan of NASCAR, maybe a fan of us or supportive of us at one time. I'm not real sure, but um, either way, beautiful number. Um, <laughs> I, I hope that it brings him a lot of luck. Oh, there you go. Yep, Harding Steinbrenner Racing. Of course, uh, Colton Herta, uh, one of the kind of the young stars. I mean, you have Graham Rahal, Marco Andretti, some of these young guys who are sort of trying to match what, the, what their families have done before them. Well, those are the two names that we're going to bring up. You talk about being there before with Herta. Well, how, how about Rahal and Andretti? And those guys could do it for sure. Back home again in Indiana, Carb Day, the atmosphere. Cool and the Gang, I believe, is on stage as we speak or getting ready for a concert. Over the next 90 minutes, we'll take you through the big stories leading into Sunday's Indy 500. We have so much more from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Over here with the 14, just so you know. Okay. What the f is this guy's problem?
Who are we talking about? Norman! Uh, 14 shot me on the front straightaway earlier in the race. I just about turned him around. If I went into brakes, I would have turned, turned him around. Hell, I thought he was a lap down. I checked up, and he ran to my left rear, and that's the last I saw of him. And then after the race, I just went up and tapped him in the back, let him know I didn't appreciate the way he raced me, and then he body slammed me. Clint Boyer went to Ryan Newman's car and was wailing on Ryan Newman. Where I come from, you get poked in the nose for that. That's what he got. Doesn't take much of a man to try to fight somebody with a helmet on. Uh, I think he should be embarrassed of himself. I don't know. I'm pissed off that he hasn't driven worth a f***ing years. Just a little reminder, that was a scene at last weekend's All-Star Race. Last night, the two appeared together at an autograph session, and one fan actually had them sign a pair of boxing gloves. They were sharing a table. Uh, they have... Uh, talked and met to discuss the incident, but I think that's pretty good. Boxing gloves. Yeah, they're at the autograph session, Clint, and then we're at separate tables. Clint brings his, being awkward as it is, Clint grabs his uh, his his autograph uh, postcards and brings them over to Newman's table. To the table. And Newman says, bring it, come on over here. And so apparently, you know, that's the way drivers are these days. That's the world we live in. We're going to get over it and, and move on. But I know that Clint, I know that Newman's still not forgot that he, you know, was getting punched in the face on live television. That's just something that's hard to get over. So I imagine that Newman's probably still going to be hard to, harder to pass than he normally is on the racetrack when Clint Boy is trying to get by. Well, those are going to be my two two points. Is a, I didn't know if Newman could get harder to pass. Right. He is definitely <laughs> the We're hardest about to find guy. Out. We're going to find out. But how about Newman on the radio? Very calmly. I'm about to go up and have some conversation with the 14 and rough up the 14. Like scary calm. Like I don't like when someone's upset and doesn't get animated. At least Clint was animated. So. Yeah, that, that, that calmness right there, that's when you know somebody's ready to go off. Because if you get somebody that's already angry and animated, it's like by the time they get to you and they do their little thing, you're like, all right, whatever. Yeah. But when they're just like, all right, hey, I'm going to go talk to him, you're like, oh, I'm, man. Like I've never seen all of the activity that was going on between them, just the part where uh, Clint was getting spun out or whether you know he was spinning himself out there off the nose of the six. But... There was a lot actually happened on that cool down lap, and I'm surprised that Newman, or yeah, I'm surprised that Newman wasn't more physical. But one time, I've wrecked Newman twice in, in, at the same racetrack two years in a row, and I thought that he was going to beat me up. I really thought I was going to lose a fight, and uh, I said, "Man, I was wrong. I spun you out. Uh, I did it last year. Did it again today. Sorry." He's like, "Yeah, you did. That was wrong." I'm, a, I mean, he's just a guy that just really doesn't get too upset. I mean, he, you know, he he races hard on the racetrack, but I've never seen him. Be, that, be very aggressive off the racetrack. Be very physical. Because well, he, he knows he could smash anybody, anybody at any point he wants. Like, yeah. He's like, yeah, he's I his got own it. liability concern. Yeah. I don't want to hit you that like, hard. The whole thing a is, lot of reason. He's, he's already, like, he's like, everybody's fear to me. Like, I don't, I was like, oh, oh, just, just mess with you. you know? <laughs> yeah. like, all right. well, gives us a lot of reason to obviously watch Boyer and Newman uh, this weekend. But another driver that fans will be watching is 21-year-old William Byron. He will lead the field to green on Sunday as the youngest pole winner in Coca-Cola 600 history. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, guys worked really hard on this car, and uh, their work's really paying off. It's um, it's really showing, you know, just across the street, everybody, Hendrick Motorsports, Chevrolet, um, everyone on the 24 team specifically, and, and the work they're doing is, is really awesome. So I'm um, excited for it, and obviously a huge honor to have, you know, Captain Weber on our car this weekend, and just excited for that. Okay, so the field will be led by youth, but will experience win out in the sport's longest race. Let's find out the latest from Charlotte Motor Speedway. Dave Burns and Parker Kligerman are there.
Well, Chris, it's almost a throwback feel at Charlotte this weekend with a 24 on the pole. Chad Knaus, crew chief car on the pole. And William Byron, Willie B, uh, second pole of the season. How important is that for him? Well, being the youngest pole winner is kind of cool as well, right? Yeah, but, yep. you know, that team this year has shown a lot of speed in qualifying. They've had some great qualifying efforts. But when I think about William Byron's situation, I find it to be a very unique situation in the sport, being that he is in a basically one of the best race teams ever. There's ever right. or ever been in NASCAR. He's with one of the most successful crew chiefs of all time. And so there becomes an internal pressure amongst all that. And I don't care if you try to put aside and say, yeah, we just work together. It's just Chad and I hanging out. He still, with seven championships, brings the weight of seven championships with him and the expectation hmm. of that sort of with him as well. So these qualifying performances are great, but there's going to come a time, whether it's this weekend or it's five races from now or halfway through the season, that someone's going to say, okay, now we need to perform in the races, right? And yep. I haven't seen that out of the 24, although hit or miss so i think that's the situation for william byron and that 24 team is these poles are great they build confidence you can get the speed but now you have to figure out a way to execute in these races because those are what matter you mentioned that pressure how does he do it he's he's a college kid uh you've been around him how does he disperse or uh, replace the pressure with something else that makes him good you know what's amazing about him is, is I started hanging out with him basically as he was coming into the truck series for the first time and spent a little time with him, and he just seems to never be phased. And I know you <laughs> hear that, but it's like at sometimes I would be like, are you awake? Are you there? <laughs> and then he would jump in a race car, put a helmet on, and turn the fastest lap yeah. or be straight at the front and be a monster on restarts. And I'm just like, where, where did he come from? So uh, I think it's just it's his personality. I think the, the his personality – is good for this sort of thing because he's very uh, calm, he's very collected, he's very methodical about how he does things, and therefore I think that's a driver you need in this position because, there, as I said, there's an incredible amount of just internal pressure, not just external pressure, and that's something where a lesser driver or a lesser personality might crumble. But I don't think he's in that position. I really think he will be successful. But they've got to turn these qualifying performances into great race performances. That's interesting. And that's so hard to train in, Krista. Almost like he was born to do this. I love it. So, Dave, is, is there anything better than just some Dave Burns poetry? <laughs> there, you know, the way <laughs> he just, the something. drama. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the 24, William Byron with Chad Knauss calling the shots. It kind of feels like something's brewing here, Steve. It does, and I happen to disagree with Parker. So, so I have seen steady improvement at a William Byron. I think that I am in the bucket of moving up too quickly. The business side of NASCAR drove William Byron to the cup level. Not his career, even though he was a champion. He contended for a championship in the trucks, moved up, drove your stuff, Junior, won a championship. But I think we would all agree, we've had this discussion, that the Xfinity Series, he, another year would not have hurt the young man, but the business side moved him up. I think what Rick Hendrick, Hendrick Motorsports, has done a good job of is allowing him to mature at that level, understanding that maybe it was the Joey Logano case, right, a little early to the season. So I don't agree with Parker. I have seen some steady improvements. I've seen steady improvements out of Hendrick Motorsports lately with Alex Bowman's run, Chase Elliott's win, even though it was Talladega, I think helps with momentum. So I think this poll makes means a big deal. I really think Jimmy, oh, excuse me, Chad Knauss and William Byron are trying to figure out, all right, how, what, what does this young man need? What do I need to give him? This poll right here, in my mind, is a big deal for this 24. I think they can really propel to something better. Yeah, this is sort of, you're seeing this across other sports as well, the one and dones and all that. So he, it's, it's a process, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a product of the system uh, that he got moved up so quickly. But William Byron can be uh, winning and championship race car driver in a Cup Series. There's no doubt about it. It's that the question that I had was would Chad Knauss be patient enough 
to allow that to develop. Uh, and Chad as well, I think he's the key to this. If you look at over the last couple of years with Jimmy, they struggled to find speed in their cars. And I know this is an entirely different race car that they're dealing with today, but I've got to give Chad a lot of credit because in qualifying, it's all about that race car. William really doesn't do anything. I mean, they're all wide open, right? right? Yeah. So you got to give Chad and his group the, the credit to be able to find that type of speed. That, that pole is going to give William a, a lot of confidence. And if Chad can be patient to let William figure out these races and how to put together races, then those two together uh, can win a lot and they can win some championships. I've known Chad Canals a long time, and we talk about drivers maturing, and I don't think it's fair to say Chad's maturing, but he is changing. He is not the same Chad Canals of 10 he years ago. He did become ago. a father. Yeah, you know, married, that, father. I know that, I'm not, it's a bit of a joke, but seriously, like that can really change you. And, and he, he's he's a he's with a driver that's a, on a completely different page than. I feel Jimmy like you're Johnson. speaking from experience. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> that'll change you a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm just worried about you know he's coming from a seven-time champion to this kid. Can he be patient? It's going to be a completely different experience but the, for but Chad. But the thing, really, you talked about it. There was the fact that is it, it to me, it's not bad moving up too early if there's the expectation level like, hey. You're here for a while. Yeah, we, we know. You I mean, have Jeff, time to learn. Jeff Gordon wrecked how many cars his, his first a year? Lot. A ton, right? So th that's the thing. And let's be honest. Team Hendrick, in general, last year, they didn't have the speed until really the second half of the season when Chase Elliott started kind of winning some races. And we saw at the beginning of this year, they didn't have a lot of speed. And all of a sudden, over the last, like, three to four races, consistently all those cars are faster. So I'm fine with him moving up when he did. If Mr. Hendrick's like, hey, we got five, six, seven years. This isn't a one one year, and, and if you don't do anything great, you're out. You know, Daniel Suarez, that felt like the pressure at, at Joe Gibbs Racing. It was like, okay, he didn't perform the first year. Second year, okay, we're, okay, we, we need to figure out something. So William's finding it. He's making gains, as you said, and, and just any time, whether it's the car that Chad put together and that team found, any time you, you get the pole, especially for the Coca-Cola 600, it gives you confidence as a group. When you talk about storylines, there are so many here in Indianapolis. Chad Canales was a pit crew member when Jeff Gordon won with the 24 at the Coca-Cola 600. When he was promoted, he said it was his dream to crew chief a 24 car. It was, that was a car he grew up on. If he could take William Byron and the 24 to victory lane with someone other than Jeff Gordon, it's what could be a better story? You know him really well. How many years does Chad have on top of the pit box? I think it depends on how much they win. <laughs> hey, what about the fact if William Byron could win the Coke 600 and Colton Herta at 19 wins wow, the Indianapolis yeah. 500 in the same year? And it's not that I'm listening to you guys, but this Jumbotron, this big screen that we had up here, has been playing the Cool in the Gang concert. Oh. So as you guys are talking, I kind of just keep sneaking up. Cool in the Gang are on stage because it's carb day. It's a party. Foreigner coming up next. And we're sitting here talking to you. But it's okay because it's a party. I thought you were going to sing us a tune. No, not yet. Not yet. But the show, we still have another 45 minutes or so, so you never know. Uh, on Sunday, that's really when the party gets started. Our coverage begins here on NBCSN at 9 a.m. Eastern. We'll have all the stories, all the drivers you need to follow for the 103rd running of the Indianapolis 500. And then you'll switch over to NBC. Pre-race coverage continues until the green flag. We'll be back on NBCSN for post-race coverage. Here at Indianapolis, the racing stars of tomorrow were on display earlier today in the Freedom 100 Indy Lights race. We'll have highlights for you coming up next. Today's aerial coverage brought to you by the Moulin Keontu K50 electric automobile. 
And no better place to have aerial coverage than Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the massive track site of the Indianapolis 500. Last night, it was the Indiana State Fairgrounds that was under the spotlight about six miles from here, hosting the Hoosier 100 Silver Crown race for the final time. Tyler Courtney won the race, but everyone was talking about a scary crash that happened on lap six. There you see Courtney. This is Chris Windham shreds his right rear tire. You can see it right here. Oh my goodness, sends his 17 car. Oh wow, into the outside wall. His car barrel rolled seven times before coming to a stop. Miraculously, Wyndham climbed out of the wreckage unscathed and then would go on to race today. Wyndham ready to race in the Freedom 100 for Indy Lights. And Wyndham's having a tough weekend. Yeah, he's the second car right there in the picture, right? AJ, a car loses in front of me, has nowhere to go, climbs that car, and then from there, a heavy impact. Yeah, David Maluka spins out right there, and Chris Wyndham, nowhere to go. Fortunately enough, stays off the catch fence and kind of rides it out. Fortunately, both drivers would be okay, but uh, Wyndham's going to need an ice sponsor, I think. Well, and he keeps racing, right? Yeah. So I think he's at, uh, over at the small Catch raceway race tonight. tonight yeah. at Lucas Oil Raceway Park and then uh, in the, the little 500. He's got a busy week. But look at this final lap. There would be not one, not two, three passes for the lead on the final lap of today's race. Yeah, with the Indy Lights cars, they draft really well. And, and not having uh, the top speed that an Indy car has, they have a lot of time down the straightaway to kind of plan their passes. So it's almost a guessing game. It's a, it's a chess match trying to figure it out and come to the line here. Oliver Askew barely beats Ryan Norman in just uh, another tight finish that the Freedom 100 always puts on. Oliver Askew, a rookie in that 28 car. I mean, you're standing in victory lane at Indianapolis. Doesn't matter what the series is, but yes, yeah, so many Indy Lights drivers have gone on to big Indy car careers. The margin of victory, by the way, 67 ten thousandths of a second. Doesn't even make the podium for closest Freedom 100 finishes. And, and like Steve said, Chris Windham still plans to run tonight's Carb Night Classic uh, over at the Little Track, uh, like you said. Um, yeah, he's got a busy week for sure. And this race doesn't always come down to the wire, but it's happened a lot. And you guys were talking, I know, the art of passing uh, what we're going to see on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, so the first thing you got to really look at as a driver and your spotter's got to help you with it is which way is the wind blowing? If, the, if it's a windy day, because if it's blowing one direction or the other, when it's blowing down the straightaway and it's a headwind, it really slows the car down, obviously, in front. So that's when you start trying to, to plan your passes is, okay, is the wind blowing down the back straightaway or the front straightaway to know I got to get the, the job done because when it's at your back, most of the time, the cars won't draft quick enough, especially here on the front straightaway, to make the pass. And then it really comes down to the fact of you're trying to time it. You can't make a late lunge unless you know you can get under the guy. So what you really see during the 500 is about a quarter to a halfway down the straightaway. The driver behind really knows, okay, am I going to get wheel to wheel with the guy getting into the corner? And if not, I have to lift early to back the cars up behind me a little bit because if I go in there, get the nose chopped off, lose the air and get tight up off the corner and get a lot of understeer, the cars behind me are going to have a lot of run. And all of a sudden you get four or five that do that. And it's like the work that you've tried to do over a two to three lap period, you got to start, start over and it may take you 30 laps again. How much does the car behind you affect your run? If, is it in a situation where you're going to back up to a guy? Do you get a push from any car behind you? No, not really. It's all based off of, of the car in front of you and, and really, is and it's no we I know everybody hates the word dirty air but 
the further you get back in line, the worse it gets. So we'll see the first three or four cars probably be able to run wide open for a long time and just kind of, if they want, start swapping places or they start saving fuel to kind of make their pit window larger. Uh, but yes, in the back, you really got to start placing. You see a guy trying to make a move, you actually start backing up knowing like, if he doesn't get the move done, I got to time my run now to that guy. So, uh, you know, there was one point in the race in 2013, I was kind of running mid-pack. I could see a bunch of cars getting into turn two and nobody was really kind of given any space. They all got checked up. I made a pass by five cars down the back straightaway. So if you make the perfect run, you can make a lot of time. And if you miss it, it will really mess you up. Well, as that, I'm learning as I walk around yeah. the garage and talk to people. I was talking to Danica early and she was explaining to me how they're, you know, most guys run either in fifth or sixth, depending on the fuel and the type of run, but they even have maybe a recovery gear down to fourth, where if you get checked up enough, you can two downshifts all the way to fourth. But even with that, they said up to two laps to get your momentum back. While it seems like it would just take one set of corners, she said, you don't go back on the offense for almost two laps. You're just playing defense out the mirror. No, and it really just plays out of, of you. And that's talking about that experience. You know, the, the, the guys that have been here before know, okay, that run's not going to happen or I'm going to start planning this. Uh, sometimes the young guys, I mean, and I was, I'll be the first to admit, I panicked early in the race because I messed the start up and I got mid-pack and I was starting to try to make dive bombs and I kept losing spots. So it's very critical. It's like running in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, but at 200 <laughs> yeah. miles. You know when you're sitting in the interstate and one in lane's moving and you want to switch? But they're doing it at 225 miles an hour. Love seeing these images. Like we said, carb day. Uh, it, it's a party. It's this kind of the start, uh, unofficially, I guess, of the other Indy 500 weekend. So drivers, I mean, they're still doing work. They're, they're taping podcasts. You see James Hinchcliffe, Kyle Kaiser, uh, Alexander Rossi kind of hanging out, having some fun. We're going to talk to some of those guys coming up in just a little bit. But Rutt actually already talked, by the way, that cool in the gang, that was my buddy Shelly on saxophone when they were showing, the, I just had to say that. Uh, Rutt, Rutledge is going to be here for the Indy 500 coverage, and he uh, talked with James Hinchcliffe and Alexander Rossi uh, for a game of rapid fire. Record lap around Indy's 237, which takes about 38 and a half seconds, yeah. right? So I thought we'd see how many questions you can answer correctly in 38 and a half seconds. Okay. Start the clock. Taco Tuesday or Fish Stick Friday? Taco Tuesday. What's your go-to dance move? Macarena. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, mint chocolate chip. Yes! That actually is the right answer. There's only one <laughs> correct one for that. Favorite TV show? Big Bang Theory. Yeah. We talked about this. Nerds unite! Uh, do you know anyone who's ever received a phone call from space? I do. I know myself quite well. Pizza, cheese or pepperoni? Pepperoni. It's like, come on. Yeah, a bunch of these nerds try to tell me, oh, there's cheese on a pepperoni. You know that's not the that's question. That's not, you are, that's just, oh, God. What job would you be terrible at? What job would I be terrible at? Mm -hmm. Literally any of them but this. Mm. Your commercials are pretty good. <laughs> I really enjoyed those. They, they turned out, they turned out all right. Crushed it. That was definitely longer than 38 and a half seconds. That's the trick. The mayor of Hinchtown, and yeah, for Hinch and Rossi, you saw them there. They're they're having a podcast. Marty, are you hanging out with them? Yeah, I need some etiquette help, Krista and Dan Jr. Like, is it okay to interrupt a live podcast or not? Is that okay to do? I mean, they told me I could. Is that all right? I think so. Junior, I think you've got you got the clear. Thumbs up. I'm you, good with you, it. You, you get the podcast. Now. All right, we're going to interrupt it live. 
Hinch has already set it up on their podcast. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Doing good. Just about to give my sponsors a shout-out. So this is good timing. Oh, it is good timing <laughs> for you, isn't it? Congratulations on being the great story of the Indy 500. And what was the joke to, to introduce him to the podcast, by the way, Alex? Well, we had Fernando Alonso slated, uh, but Kyle beat him by a couple thousands of a second here. So. <laughs> ah, that's very good. All right. So give me a theme of the podcast. I know Tim Durham, the great producer of the podcast over here, writes all your bits, right? First of all, never say great and Tim Durham. All right. Oh, my, my apologies. He paid me money. I'm sure he did. Um, but no, that's not what we do. In fact, this is how we operate here. Uh, no, th <laughs> His name's Thims, no Thim. But no, the theme of the show was supposed to be Dale Jr., but he was too busy working for you guys. He couldn't come hang out with us. So well, Junior, you're supposed to be here on the podcast. Hinch is very upset. We miss you, buddy. We were going to compare beard grooming tips and like we're going to have a whole <laughs> thing. It was going to be great. Man, is there anything uh, that actually gets accomplished on the show, Alex? Absolutely not. I mean, the fact that we have that we have a um, sponsor for this, Barkeeper's Friend, is phenomenal. <laughs> I'm very surprised and very grateful, so thank you to them. It's the most publicity they're ever gonna get for sponsoring your podcast right there. But, but Danica showing up later? We're trying to get Danica to swing by. Uh, it's still TBD, you know, it's, we're not sure. She's busy, she's working. Again, you guys taking off the guests, it's tough. We've absolutely ransacked your uh, your podcast. I apologize. It's fine. It's fine. We'll forgive you this time. You're the one who said, let's do it. This is a great idea. Yeah, I, I, have a, I say that a lot. It's rarely right. <laughs> so we have lesson learned. All right, let's have fun. Let's get them back to their podcast, guys, so Kyle can talk about his great sponsors who have come on board after this young man made the Indy 500. Congratulations. I know you had a lot of fun, and congratulations on beating, uh, beating by Fernando by, what was it? couple thousands of a second as you guys said one thousandth of a second and i'll take every thousandth of it there you go all right they're having fun on the podcast we officially interrupted a podcast there you go that's all right you can... in front of tens of fans everyone marty you remind them all those sponsors just got not only audio coverage but television coverage right. too. so that's i think right. it was a great idea i think we, they, we need they, they need a raise on the podcast don't they <laughs> all right coming up a lot more man look at that crowd this is on Friday. Hey guys, day. guys, I gotta go. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that just scares me. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. Coming up, uh, Kelly Savis has one of the coolest stories uh, from our indie coverage. She sat down with some of the sport's biggest drivers, better halves. Want to know what Scott Dixon or Ryan Hunter Ray do away from the track? Their wives are going to tell us coming up. And there's a volleyball game going on in uh -oh. the infield uh -oh. as well. Oh, he's down. Uh -oh. He's down. <laughs> we build the drama. <laughs> for drivers and their families, a whole lot of traditions. Kelly recently sat down with Lauren Kanan, Liz Power, Becky Hunter-Ray, and Emma Dixon, wives of four Indy 500 champions. Here's the third installment of her conversation. All right, so it's, it's the men that are out there driving 230-odd miles per hour, but watching you guys, sometimes I think the nerves Liz, yes, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Get the best of you. By the way, your dentist must hate you, the way that you chew on those plastic bottles. What's really funny about that, so I get all of Will's Instagram and social media, and I do all this stuff for his website. <laughs> and he gets so many emails. And after a race, and they're like, We're, I'm a dental hygienist, or I'm a dentist, <laughs> and I'm really concerned no. about no. your teeth. <laughs> I actually, this is gonna sound really crazy. 
So I save all of the water bottles now, like we've marked them. It's kind of a joke. I have a bag and, and so we'll like clear the shelf down because like in his man cave for his trophies and stuff. And so he has a special section for the board and he's got the milk bottle that still has the dried milk. And then it's got my water bottle right next to it. That's right, I worked hard during the race too. Like, it's the, yeah, but the nerves. We used to go looking for like, four-leaf clovers, me and the girls, when we'd take the dogs for a walk during yeah. the whole of May. And we always, like, we'd find one just before race weekend. <laughs> and Scott, I would actually stick it to the inside of his car. Oh, yeah, so that's something that we always do sure. as a fun thing with the kids, not yeah. to take too seriously, but, like, we'll spend an afternoon just sitting in the park mm. and looking yeah. for a four-leaf. We do the same, but we look for ladybugs. Oh, you do? Oh. 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 Well, with the, um, the joys of victory come the agony of of defeat. I have to imagine that it's like the near wins mm -hmm. that don't, you know, Or when you know that they through. have like the best car. Right. And something, yeah. yeah. And then something. That's the worst. Last yeah. year. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, he, I, I believe it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, that was another one of his years, yeah. but you know, a tire puncture. It wasn't even mechanical. The same yeah. with like the crash. Yes, the he crash. He was like, I haven't had a car this good since 2012. That. And Scott was like, he was just settling in. He was just messing with the car. So went back to seventh, and then the crash happened. And he, he said he hasn't had a car that good, you know, in a long, long time. And just those things happen. And right. Yeah. But for you in that moment, because speaking of crashes, I mean, yeah. what's it like watching that? I mean, what goes through your mind? And you're just praying, but you just want to see them get out. Yeah. And like Scott said, even though he knew he'd done something quite serious to his leg, he knew that everybody just wanted to see him out of the tub. So in that moment, like you're just like looking for that sign of sure. out of the tub. And he got out really quickly, so that moment was over quite quickly for us, luckily. So I can never get used to the crashes. Yeah. No, you just yeah. don't. You just no. can't. Yeah. That's one part of it. I'm like, I. Hey, I love every other aspect, but that's yeah. the one I'm like, yeah, I could do without that. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. All right, so are any of you sensing anything this month? Anyone picking up on it? I think oh we all gosh. feel it, though, because I think that we're so sucked in to this. It's our chance again. Yeah. yeah. And then we get spat out on Sunday, and it wasn't our day, but it's okay. Well, and I think, too, I know because we're fresh coming off of it yeah. from last year, you really, you know, will really want it again, cool. you yes. know, and you yes. know that feeling, you want yeah. that feeling again too. So it's like you think you get the feeling, but you're not quite sure if you really do. And then that's me because I think I feel something and I'm like, yeah, well, that was wrong. I feel Charlie Kimball. I'm just putting it out there. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put a Charlie Kimball out there. I know it's really bizarre, but I just don't know. He keeps popping in my head this month. I don't know if it's because he's back. Right. And it's always nice to see anyone that's not a full-time sure. ride back. But I think he's going to have a good race. He's so. also the only car of theirs that qualified. So. I know. So maybe yeah. that's why I'm thinking about him a lot, that I'm happy for his position. But Charlie, maybe. Emma Dixon, a prognosticator. You can watch all three installments of Kelly's conversation on our uh, NBC Motorsports YouTube channel. And Kelly, there's so many images, uh, pictures, and moments throughout the Indy 500. Watching those ladies and those closing laps, if, if their husband is leading, that is one of those iconic images as well. Yeah, they each kind of have their own way to kind of hide or show their nerves. I think that Liz Power does it best with that plastic bottle that she just has to smush up and chew on, and she just can barely 
barely take it. I mean, and for Becky Hunter Ray, she's been around racing her entire life with her brother Robbie and her father and grandfather, and yet, you know, you can sense that the nerves are very real when it's the person that you love most and are closest with. But incredible women, they all support each other and all support each other's husbands, which was really my biggest takeaway is, you know, they're competitors on track, uh, but away from that, they all deeply care for one another and, and want nothing but the best for the husbands and the wives. And Kelly, you've been out here all day long. Uh, it's a little bit hot, right? Yeah, a little okay? bit. I found the, sh the shade here of the pagoda. I'm in the nice. plaza, uh, which is some fun people watching. I saw uh, a shirtless man in Daisy Dukes. Lovely. So that sort of made my day. I've seen a couple of uh, Scottish kilts. So uh, even though the concert's kind of a stone's throw from here, plenty of action here uh, underneath the pagoda in the plaza as well. Thank you. Shirtless man in Daisy Dukes. We talk about iconic <laughs> images. Thank you for putting that one in our heads, Kelly. You're Coming up, Rutledge Wood heads to the farm, but not just any Indiana acreage, the place that carries a special link to this year's Indy 500. Hey, you know what we're doing on the show? We're just moving right along. Now let's get on with the class of 2020. Our first inductee, one of the most interesting characters in our sport, not just currently, but in all time, Tony Stewart. He now joins his second professional sports hall of fame, Coach Joe Gibbs. Our next inductee has been a, a, a steward of this sport for a long time, Waddell Wilson. One of the most hard charging drivers who loved to go fast, and carried the name of the gentle giant, Buddy Baker. Our fifth member of the 2020 class, another quiet guy until he got behind the wheel of a race car. He now joins his brother in the Hall of Fame, Bobby Labonte. I think there's more to it than just stats uh, of what you did on the racetrack. I think it's what you've done off the racetrack as well. Hearing from Tony Stewart, there you see the names of those inducted that will be inducted in the class of 2020. And it seems appropriate to talk Tony Stewart because we're here at Indy. He helped build up the tradition of the Indy 500 Coke 600 double. First tried it in 99, then in 2001. Now he became the first and only driver to run all 1,100 miles. Of course, uh, John Andretti, Kurt Busch, uh, Robbie Gordon. John Andretti was the first one to attempt it. But there's sort of an interesting concept being floated around. I guess you would call it maybe a different sort of double, and we're using social media maybe to help spur this conversation. An IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader, Steve. I think it's a great idea. We talk about drivers doing the double, running the Indianapolis 500 and the Coca-Cola 600, but think about a weekend where a race fan could show up and see the two premier racing levels in the country. I mean, wherever Marcus Smith voted in there, said Charlotte, Texas. I think there's other venues. There's venues probably all across the country that could do it. But, Dale, talk about a full-fledged weekend for a race fan to be able to see the stars of IndyCar and the stars of NASCAR. Maybe if they're on the same weekend, we could really convince some drivers to run both. That's a great idea to be able to get drivers to dip in both series. But you said it. It's two elite series. So how do you get both of those series at the same racetrack on the same weekend where neither one feels like a support to the other? That's the real hurdle, I think, for race fans for their acceptance of that kind of an idea. And is that why? Because it happens right now in a couple weeks in Texas. It'll be the, the, the truck series uh, and IndyCar. So NASCAR and IndyCar have been together at racetracks, but not at the, the, the premier level. Yeah, let's be honest. As a whole, the motorsports community isn't that big. 
I mean, if you look at as across other sports and, and whether they're worldwide or, or the NFL is so popular here, the motorsports community, although it's big, but to the, to the rest of it, it's not that big. So we need to bring everybody together. There's no egos involved. It's not about who's better than who. It's about going out there and showcasing the motorsports world to all of our fans. Whether that may be in an oval or a road course, that's what it has to be about. And maybe you set it up where there's a couple of them. On a Saturday, it's the cup race, and Sunday it's the IndyCar race, and vice versa the next time. But whatever it may be, we just need to do it for our fans so they can go there. And, and whether NASCAR fans never been to an IndyCar, we're just talking about it right now. Two of you guys, yeah, right? Well, that's what, yeah. You haven't been to an IndyCar race. You see, you're like, wow. And, and it's the same thing if an IndyCar person's never seen a big heavy stock car go around and they're three wide it's like wow so we just have to do it for the fans i always thought it was a good idea and when carb day practice rolled off today it instantly went to an absolute must yeah. happen in my mind right i mean that so i'm that guy i grew up in the stock car world and when dale and i stood down here at turn one and saw those guys come by the first time i was so i was all in let's get them together on the same weekend because i think both fan bases deserve to see what the other series has to offer. Well, it's always been uh, a sort of a pipe dream before, but it's getting some real steam with the guys that are talking about it. Uh, I think it's something we will see in the future, and I uh, hope all the fans buy in. I think your points, AJ, are right on. We all need to lift each other up. All these motors, all forms of motorsports need to work together. It's not I'm better than you or, or, or you know, dirt versus asphalt and all that argument. It's all it's us all trying to help each other uh, and everybody. I'm a motorsports fan. Yeah, I want to watch it all. And, uh, you know, I can appreciate all styles. And I think that's what we have here. Hey, and a shout out to John Andretti talking about doing the double. His son, Jarrett, was in that Indy Lights race today. Another Andretti, Andretti Indianapolis. family. Driving, driving for an Andretti. Yeah, up next, we talked about this a little bit. Rutledge Wood is going to introduce us to a family of Indiana farmers that will have an important job this Sunday here at Indy. and nothing like the Stanley Cup Final. In a rematch of the 04 World Series, you've got the St. Louis Blues and the Boston Bruins in game one, Monday night at 8 Eastern on NBC. The crowd continues to build here at Indianapolis. You know, there are a lot of coveted trophies up for grabs during NBC Sports Championship season, but at nearly 5.5, the Borg Warner Trophy, yeah, it's a giant among them. In comparison, the Stanley Cup is just under three feet tall. So is the Woodlawn Vase. That's from the Preakness Stakes. So let's throw in the hardware from the Premier League. And let's add the Kentucky Derby and then the Belmont Stakes. No question, Ford Warner standing tall. And this would be the perfect place. So you're telling me tell I'm, you. I'm barely taller yes, than yes, the Ford Warner? I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. But yesterday we talked about one name is misspelled on the Borg Warner Trophy. So we finally get to know. Yes, you've been waiting for this. Yeah. It belongs to the 1950 winner. Johnny Parsons. So Johnny spells his name. The correct spelling is I-E. 
they spelled it Johnny with a Y. I would. I always went right to the last Jimmy Johnson could definitely steal in that paint. Yeah. Yep, there you go. The mystery has been solved. But stay tuned on Sunday. We may bring you more fun facts from the Board Warner Trophy. <laughs> the pressure is on. The trophy, the wreath of orchids, the bottle of milk, the three probably most visual symbols of winning the Indianapolis 500. But where does the milk actually come from? I know a cow. That was what I was waiting for you guys to I tell I didn't know me. if it was multiple choice. No, I was waiting. Rutledge went to the farm, the actual farm, that milks the Indy 500 moment. By the time the first 500 roared to life in 1911, the Keenerts had been milking their fortune out of a farm in Fort Wayne for 14 years. And it feels fitting that this family, with its own winning legacy, should steer their way into victory lane. Five years behind. How long has this farm been in your family? The farm's been in our family more than 125 years. And I am the fourth generation, the fifth generation, and we're really proud of that. I started out way back, I was eight or 10 years old, but I, I never had to milk my hand. Mom and dad did, but we at least had milking machines. The whole key to survival on a dairy farm is, is cow comfort. Like dad said, I mean, taking care of the cows, we pamper every one of these. That's what's nice about dairy cows is the fact that we treat every one of these animals like family members. We get to see that calf from day one when that calf is born and all the way up through that life cycle. I and mean, we do absolutely anything and everything we can to make sure that animal is treated as good as it can. We're going back to the future, aren't we? We kind of are. Past. It's like a down, it's a sweeping. It, it is gentle, though. Oh my gosh, I'm milking a cow. <laughs> Over a century on the same thousand acres hasn't stopped time, though. Oh, what's oh, your yeah. name? I'll spell it for you. I don't know if I have a full bottle at this rate. And thankfully, farmhands like me have been mostly replaced here, as Andrew and his brother Nathan have advanced their old homestead with utterly cutting-edge technology. This is unbelievable. Before, it was taking us about 18, 20 hours a day to milk the cows. We had to do that ourselves. Wow. This is where the milk collects, here in this no. jar. I mean, it's amazing, all the technology in this, all the numbers, all the fine-tuned details. I mean, you know, when you think about it, it is the same as, as an IndyCar. What they do on the computers is what we do. I just want you to know, I think if you get tired of farming, you could run a shock dyno. Like, there's, know, right? there's a lot of don't, engineering don't tempt me, you man. can take a swing at. For a family like the Keenerts, who've kept this dairy going for so many years, being a part of modern Indiana tradition like the 500 sure is a moving experience. Here is to five generations of family farming and love. Thanks for having me. What a treat. Thank you. Here's you guys. Cheers. You got a big job. I do. I got a big job and a big uh, honor, I guess, representing not only my family here, but every dairy farmer in the world. It's a big deal. It is. Oh, so cool. They let Rutledge at their family dinner table. Yeah, so something I've learned uh, come to the Indy, Indy 500 for the first time is the drivers fill out a rider mm -hmm. for this, and it's what type of milk yep. they want should they win the race. I want to know how many options are there, AJ. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was whole, skim, one, or in 2%. Yeah, I think 2% I think is yeah, the Yeah, so I went 2%. Did you? Yeah. Nice. That's what I grew up on, Steve. Right on. 
I'm not judging. All right. You can see uh, more of that story. Uh, Rutledge has a lot of great stories on our coverage beginning on Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern. So we'll be here on NBCSN from 9 to 11, and then you'll switch over to NBC at 11. Stay there for the race, and then come back to NBCSN for the post-race coverage. Just stick with us all day like all of these great fans here at Carb Day will as well. When we come back, we'll go back to Charlotte Motor Speedway predictions for both races coming up. Welcome back. The Coca-Cola 600 is the longest race on the NASCAR circuit, but the distance is far from the only challenge drivers will face. Dave and Parker explain. Well, Krista, you know NASCAR's longest race can be grueling on any day, but Sunday looks like it's going to be the hottest ever, Parker. What's that going to do for these drivers? They've got to outlast, uh, you know, temperatures in the mid-90s going into race time. Well, I'm just so glad I signed up for this one. Yeah. yeah, thanks. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely one of those things where every driver has a different form of preparation, but when there's grueling heat like that, there's no real way to escape it, right? Hmm. You can fight it, you can combat it, you can try to keep yourself hydrated, but there's no way to escape it. And then you add in 600 miles, our longest race, well over four hours. I mean, this is going to be a serious test of every driver's physical ability and add in that we're going faster than ever through the corners we're pulling more g's than ever so this is going to be more physically enduring than any 600 maybe we've seen before all gonna have popeye arms by the time yeah you got yeah. you gotta have to i mean there's a nice breeze right now yeah i wish i had that in the car like, uh, this this little breeze would be wonderful but i don't think i'll have it i wish it for you speaking of breeze there have been a couple of 600s that would seemingly have gone that way uh laps led last year by kyle bush monstrous this year parker you're thinking might be a little bit different story at the end of this one. Well, we could see. You know, I think for a majority of the first portion, especially in the daytime, we might see similar racing to what we saw last year and the years prior. But with this package, the nighttime being a little cooler temperatures, maybe the track cooling down, you have the added grip strips up there in uh, the higher grooves. I think all that combined could be could make a situation where late in the race, if there's late race restarts, we could see similar racing that we saw in the series which is where you're using the draft. Drivers are in the throttle so much, they're having to use that draft. They're having to pick partners to push and not push, and I think it could get pretty intense and very exciting to watch. So this could be one of the more interesting 600s we see late in the race if we can get some of those late race cautions. Well, if you count in drivers that haven't won yet this season, they're not in the playoffs. Drivers who had never won before, right? This place can reward first-time winners. It could be a big clamor to the finish. It definitely could. you got a guy on the pole who's never won a race. It could be his first time. You've got his teammate there in the 88, Alex Bowman, Daniel Suarez looking for that first win. So you have a lot of hungry drivers out there. But, you know, this race rewards that because I think it's so unique in how long it is, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that extra 100 miles pushes the car, pushes the driver to a whole nother level. You add in the heat, this package we have, the high downforce and high Gs. I think all of that just opens up the possibility for someone new to win because there's so many new variables. Roto World Fantasy Picks coming up. You got yourself again this week? I don't. Uh, not yet. Uh, <laughs> I'm reserving judgment till practice on okay. Saturday. All right. uh, we weren't great in qualifying, um, and I was expecting a little bit more, so I will reserve judgment, as I said, till after practice. But for now, I would say for you fantasy pickers out there, don't pick me right now. Krista, don't expect more from Parker. Uh, don't expect more from us. This is it for us. We'll see you after the 600 at some point. Oh, they're going to be very busy in that heat. Yeah, we would take some of that breeze uh, here Indianapolis, if they can. Yeah, a little cover breeze would distance. be good. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get your guys' predictions. Let's start with the Coca Cola 600. Um, Steve, 
Well, I'm going to stick with drivers that have attempted the double. I'm going to look at Kurt Busch. Now, practice will be tomorrow up in Charlotte, so we'll see who's good and what. But I really think it's going to be hard to judge off practice. I think the track's going to change. It's a long race. I look for the veteran, the champion, Kurt Busch. He was able to try 1,100 miles once. I think he's going to succeed in 600 miles down at the Coca-Cola 600. Two teams I'm looking at is Hendrick Motorsports and Penske. I think Chase Elliott's going to have a great night. He'll be fast. They've had speed over the last several weeks, but he won't win this race. I think Brad Keselowski wins this race. It's a long 600-mile event. It's methodical with this new package, this new car. Restarts are going to be tighter, closer. I think some guys that have the potential to win this race will be eliminated either completely or by damage to their cars uh, throughout the event. I think Brad is methodical and moves on through the pack and wins it. I like your uh, your Team Hendrick pick there, but I'm going Alex Bowman. He's been so close the last couple of weeks. That team has really shown a lot of confidence, a lot of speed. Obviously, from qualifying, we see their cars are fast. I feel like Alex Bowman, he's got that. He, he just feels good about what he's doing in the race car now. He's my pick. Okay, you guys have to do the double because you're going to pick the, <laughs> your Indy 500 winner as well. I'm going James Hinchcliffe. I know he didn't qualify well, but his story at the Brickyard is well documented. A huge accident that resulted in injury. Came back for the pole, missed the race, got in in the last chance here. James Hinchcliffe from the back. Will Power, 7-1 odds, I believe, right now. Guys coming off a win last year. I talked to him, spent a lot of time talking about this race. He's got a lot of confidence under the radar. He's got it. I'm going to go sentimental value. I wish Hinch, Connor Daly, Jack Harvey. Wait, I'd love it, for them to win. Oh. But <laughs> Elio Castroneves is going to join the group of A.J. Foyt, Al Unser Sr., and Rick Mears as a four-time winner. All right. Well, I wish we could go back and do it all over. That's what foreigners singing right now in our ears here at Carb Day. Our coverage is completed. We'll see you on Sunday on race day. Have a great night. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability.